Uh, we're almost to the end of this series, and uh, we're looking at Psalm 133 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Psalm 133. And I've titled this message, Life Together. Life Together. I was going to call it the, blessing of, the, the Blessings of Unity. Because that's what we see. And, and thankfully, this is not 176 verses that I'm trying to summarize as I did a few weeks ago. This is only three simple verses. So I'm going to preach from that, and then I'm going to take us on a little journey through the New Testament on unity. Um, and I'd like to, I've titled it Life Together because I, I, I think this is fitting. This is what God has designed each of us for. He's created us for community. He's formed us for family. And even at the beginning of creation, when all was well in the world, minus an element of human community, God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he did something about it, right? We're made in the image of the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who has experienced fellowship for all eternity. And God's created us to be relational beings that know one another, know and be known and love and be loved by one another, and this is core to our vision and values here at City Church, to know Jesus, to love people, and impact your world. And usually around this time of year, whether it's the beginning of the year or uh, in the fall, we have a message that is geared towards the very basic element of, one of the very basic elements of Christianity, namely the fellowship and the communion of the saints, Okay, it is a beautiful thing for you and I to be a part of the family of God. By grace, we've been brought in, we've been chosen from all eternity, we've been adopted, we've been brought into the family of God, and we are loved, and we have a place at the Father's table. We belong. That's good news, amen? And so let me just start out here with a a little snippet from a book that was written in 1970 by a guy named Philip Slater, and it's called The Pursuit of Loneliness. Philip Slater, in his searching study of the way Americans live together, says that all of us have a desire and a need for community. The wish to live in trust and fraternal cooperation with, one, with one's fellows in a total invisible collective entity. It is easy to produce examples of the many ways in which Americans attempt to minimize, circumvent, or deny the interdependence of, upon which all human societies are based. We seek a private house, a private means of transportation, a private garden, a private laundry, self-service stores, and do-it-yourself skills of every kind. An enormous technology seems to have set itself the task of making it unnecessary for one human being ever to ask anything of another in the course of going about his daily business. We seek more and more privacy and feel more alienated and lonely when we get it. 
our encounters with others tend increasingly to be competitive as a result of the search for privacy. We less and less often meet our fellow man to share and exchange and more and more often encounter him as an impedient or nuisance making the highway crowded when we're rushing somewhere, cluttering and littering on the beach or park or, or wood, uh, woods, uh, pushing in front of us at the supermarket, taking the last parking place, polluting our air and water, building a highway through our, through our house, blocking our view and so on. Because we have cut off so much communication with each other, we keep bumping into each other and thus a higher and higher percentage of our interpersonal contacts are abrasive. So I wanted to read this to start out by highlighting one of the problems that we see in American culture, namely our individualism, okay? Our independence and individualism. God has designed us as his people to be interdependent. We need God. We need to be dependent upon God. And we need to be interdependent in our relationships within the body of Christ. God has not designed anyone to be a lone ranger Christian and to do it all themselves. God's formed us for family. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ, which implies that there is diversity all right? There's, there's, a, there's many parts, and yet we're one. There's unity and diversity. So he's wired us for this, not for independence, not for codependence, but interdependence within the body of Christ. Amen? So in Psalm 133, this psalm is referred to as a song of ascents. Okay, it's a song of ascents, and it's uh, of David. It was written by David. Um, it's attributed to David, and it's three simple verses. It's in a cluster of the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent from uh, chapter 120 to 134, and they're also called the Pilgrim Psalms. They're called the Pilgrim Psalms. Jews traveling to Jerusalem from, from one of three annual, for one of three annual Jewish festivals traditionally sang these songs on the ascent or the uphill to the road to the city. According to some traditions, the Jewish priests sang these, some of these songs of ascent as they walked up the steps of the temple in Jerusalem. And so let's read it together here. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard on the, on the beard of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forever more. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Here's our big idea. God has designed his people to live together in a unit, united loving community and his blessing and delight is on such communities or is on such. God has designed his people to live together in a united loving community and his blessing and delight is on such communities. 
Let's look at this first verse here. The first one is, uh, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Okay, I have five points today. And the first one is that living, in uni- living together in unity is desirable. It is desirable for us to live together in unity. The psalmist says, Behold, look, look at how good and pleasant it is to dwell together in unity. Um, think about a sports team. Okay, think about your favorite sports team. Those of us who maybe like basketball or football or baseball or some sport, seeing the athletes work together in unison to accomplish a goal, to win a game. We love to be entertained, to sit back and watch the amazing things that can be accomplished when a team works together. One of my favorites, uh, or one of our family favorites for the kids to watch on YouTube is Dude Perfect. Kids, you, you know Dude Perfect? You like Dude Perfect? We, we had the chance to go see them recently as a, um, as a reward for our kids' uh, summer reading challenge that they accomplished. And so we took them to Fort Worth to go see these five or six guys who make these amazing trick shots Okay, and they're shooting from one side of the arena to the other, and they're doing all these crazy shots. They're breaking world records of these, these shots, and they're planning it out together, and they're working together, and they're laughing together. It seems like, like a really fun job to have, like just get paid lots and lots of money to just make these trick shots all day. Probably many kids' dreams, right? But there's this, this working together, this unison that they have as they accomplish this. All right, and, and, and we watch the Olympics and we watch championship games and, and we're, we're amazed as we see these human beings do these amazing things and, and stretch and move in ways that you never thought were even possible. We're amazed when we, when we hear beautiful music, when we hear a band or an orchestra bring their part and make this beautiful sound together, each with, with different instruments or playing different parts and bringing it together to make something beautiful. The psalmist says, behold this. And he's referring to Jewish people who are coming together in worship of the one true God. Behold this, how good and how pleasant it is This is desirable. It is desirable by Almighty God. He desires this for all his people. Even Jesus, his high priestly prayer in John 17, he prayed for this, for his church. We see the heart of God come through the person of Jesus in this prayer that the church would be one so that the world might believe that the Father sent the Son Okay, so this is the heart of God. It's desirable by God. It's desirable for you and I. Don't we want a place to belong, a place where we have a meaningful part in a family, on a team? Don't we want to work with people that, where there's a team, a good, healthy team working together? Don't we want our holidays when we, we see family, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever holidays, don't we want peace around the table, unity around the table? It's good. We desire that. Don't we want that in our church and in the church at large? This working together, this unison, getting along. 
Unfortunately, we all have stories. We all have observations of communities of faith that didn't get along very well for various reasons. Perhaps we've experienced some deep pain of that, of the separation, of the division that has taken place within the body of Christ. It's, it's shaken some people's faith. It has repelled some people from Christianity when they have seen it. And yet Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Like the badge, the mark of, of, of real Christianity being lived out is this love for one another as Jesus has loved us. And Colossians 3.14 says it's this love that binds us together in perfect harmony. Put on this love because it binds us together in perfect harmony. So the psalmist says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. There's a book that I want to commend to you, especially community group leaders, uh, and it's called Life Together. And I've used the title of this for my sermons by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said this in his book. And he, by the way, he starts off the book with Psalm 133, with this very verse that we're, we're looking at here. He said, it is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. And each of us who walked through 2020 and experienced months and weeks and months of separation, of, of being in proximity with the body of Christ, many of us were, right? Know and are reminded of the blessing, the grace of God that it is for us to be able to gather corporately, visibly, that just, just to be able to be together with other Christians who love Jesus and, and worship Jesus and are singing together and, and believe the word of God and, and have a, a common mission and purpose in life, that's, that's a blessing in and of itself. And even more so when that community of people is getting along. It's desirable and it's delightful. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's a delight. I believe it delights the heart of the Father, our Heavenly Father, right? I believe it's delightful to our own souls when we experience this, when we're a part of a church community or even, even our own personal family. Like we can all look at our own family like when everybody's getting along and everyone's enjoying uh, what we're doing and we're enjoying one another's there's not bickering and not fighting like it is delightful as i was thinking about this i thought about good old family road trips family road trips sanctifying family road trips I have a friend who, when, she did, when, when, the, when the kids are with her and her husband and they go on a, on a trip, they, they call it a family trip, but when it's just them two, she calls it a vacation, all right? 
and, and probably rightfully so when you got, you know, many kids. Uh, but but, here, but here, here's, what, here's what many of us have experienced. On these family road trips, we're in a car, we're in a tight space for a long period of time. Maybe we're going somewhere really nice where it's not 108 degrees. We're going into the mountains where there's like high 70s and low 50s. And like, we're, we're going, we're getting out of this heat. We're going to get a breath of fresh air, all right? Uh, by the way, <laughs> just my, my family and I realized that, that our AC in our van isn't working. At the hottest point in the summer, our AC is not blowing cool air. So we had a trip to go visit family uh, Friday night, and it was just one hour long. And, man, it was, it was brutal. I could just feel the tension in the air from the lack of coolness and, and being cramped in that tight space for just one hour. Now, if you've gone nine hours up to Colorado or our, our family once, we went up uh, 24 hours up to Montana. What a trip, right? All right, and so there's lots of opportunity for bickering, for fighting, for discontent. And children, children are full of their own needs and wants, and they express them. And there's a tendency to look at siblings as an obstacle to those needs and wants. And so mom and dad, give me attention and give me what I want. And so there's this tension, and that's just natural, Humanity, We're, we all tend to, to, to be like that. There's tension when we have these needs that we want met or these wants that we want met and we're not getting them met. And so we look to others around us like, man, why aren't you helping me get this? Right? And there's tension in the relationship, maybe in a marriage. Right? And so family road trips tend to be sanctifying to us. But how delightful it is. When the family can dwell, how good and how pleasant it is when the brothers and sisters can enjoy the fresh air, enjoy the music, enjoy the games in the back seat, enjoy the view. Like, I'm amazed how you could be driving by a view just like this, and everybody's in the back fighting over this little device. You know, it's, 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 it's just mind-blowing. It's baffling to me. And so let's look at just a couple of blessings of living together in unity. And I've shared these before as we've talked about community. Uh, one is we experience acceptance within the community of God. And when we're living together in unity, we're accepted and received by one another as brothers and sisters, right? right? And every family has, you know, people who are a little quirky, a little out there, but they're family, when they show up at holidays, like they're family, like you're eating together, you're family together, right? We all have that, right? But there's acceptance. There's an acceptance based on the grace that you're in the family, okay? We love you. We accept you as you are, even though, even though we may not like different things about another person, we can still accept that person. There's affirmation, Right? We can affirm one another within the unity of the body of Christ. We can affirm one another. Now, we don't affirm sin, and we don't affirm unrighteousness, things that are morally wrong. But we can call out good that we see in others. We can commend them in their parenting, commend them in pressing through hard circumstances and affirm them that, yeah, life's tough right now. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep what we're about here city church garland romans 12 says to do that to live out these one another's and a part of that is affirming and calling out the good and calling one another up 
affirming one another with gospel truth. This is what God says about you. This is what God says about your identity. Don't let the world shape who you think you are. Let God tell you who you are and define who you are. And affirm that from his spirit and from the scripture. Also, there's accountability. This is a blessing of living in unity together. There's accountability when, when a brother or sister is out of step with God's way, with God's will. We are to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.13. Speak the truth in love, and that co contributes to the growth within the body of Christ when we do that. There's also assurance that occurs when we're, when we're together and we're unified and we worship God together. We're united on those core realities of Christianity. It just strengthens our assurance. Like, yes, as we were singing earlier, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. We affirm and we strengthen our assurance in who God is and what God has spoken over our lives, what his will is for our lives, who he says we are, who, where he says we are going. We have a blessed assurance to live into. And when we gather corporately like this on Sunday mornings or in community groups, we're getting strengthened and shored up in our assurance, in our confidence in what God says, rather than what the devil says, rather than what our own heart may say, rather than what the world says. There's advance. There's spiritual growth that happens when we dwell together in unity. Spiritual formation happens in community. When we try to do it isolated from, from God-given community, we tend not to thrive and experience the grace that we could have within community. There's awakening that happens. There's this stirring up of love and good deeds. When, when, you're, when your heart feels cold and you feel dull towards God and you're around a brother or sister who is just lit for Jesus, filled with joy, the warmth from their life just stirs your heart, challenges you, challenges you to seek the Lord. There's extenuated joy that occurs within the unity of the church as we worship together. It's, there's a proverb that says a shared joy is a double joy, a double joy. So these are some of the blessings that we experience as the people of God through dwelling together in unity. Now let's look at unity, living together in unity as it's described in Psalm 132, verse 2. He says that it is like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, on which the mountains of Zion, which falls on, on the mountain of Zion. Okay, now in our culture, we don't typically pour oil on people's head when they come over to our house, unless you're like hyper charismatic, right? You're like, come on in. <laughs> and Elizabeth is like, I'll do it. Come on over. I'll, an I'll anoint your head with oil. It's biblical, right? Um, and, and so typically we don't, we don't do that. We, we use like cologne and perfume for these same purposes, right? Like conveniently so. Right, but but this was this was a hospitable thing. This was a common thing that was done by um, uh, uh, in in this culture. Okay, this this pouring of oil upon the head, and of course we we do anoint with oil when we're praying for the sick. Right, James five tells us to do that. 
all right? We, we use oil for that purpose. And the, the oil is a symbol of the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is what David says that it is like, the, the unity within the body of Christ or within the people of God and the Jewish people, and, and this certainly applies to the body of Christ, to the church, is like this oil that's poured on, on the head there. Oil throughout scripture, Eugene Peterson says this, oil throughout scripture is a sign of God's presence, a symbol of the spirit of God. Oil glistens. It picks up warmth of, of sunlight. It softens skin. It perfumes the person. Living together means seeing the oil flow over the head, down the face, through the beard, onto the shoulders of the other. When I see that I, I know that I am that I'm that I'm belong to my, my that I'm my brothers and my sister is my priest. When we see the other as God's anointed, our relationships are profoundly affected. There is a quality of warmth and ease in God's community that's in contrast to the icy coldness of hard surfaces of people who jostle one another in crowds, but more particularly the oil. Here is, is, is an anointing oil making the person as a priest living together. Amen? And so we say this often here at City Church. We are all called to be priests in the body of Christ, ministers in the body of Christ. In a sense, God has anointed us to pray for one another, to speak the word of Christ to one another, to exhort one another, Right? To, to, to minister to one another through the gifts that he's given us. We've been anointed to do so. And then uh, Eugene Peterson goes on to describe the dew. The alpine dew communicates a sense of morning freshness, a feeling of fertility, a clean anticipation of growth. Important in any community of faith is an ever-renewed expectation in what God is doing with our brothers and sisters in the faith. We refuse to label the others as one thing or another. We refuse to predict our brother's behavior or sister's growth. Each person in the community is unique and each is especially loved and particularly led by the Spirit. So how can I presume to make conclusions about anyone, how can I pretend to know your worth or your place? This is taken from Eugene Peterson's A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. The oil flowing down Aaron's beard communicates warmth of the priestly relationship. And so this is a description of what it's like. Now, there's also some difficulties living together in unity. Living together in unity presents its difficulty. And we've all experienced this, right? Whether you've had a roommate, whether you grew up and shared a room with your brother or sister, right? When you got married, right? You went into marriage and you experienced that there was some conflict, some challenges that had to be worked through. Right, Because the, the more you're around somebody, the more opportunities there are for conflict. And that could, that could shut us down if we don't respond to them appropriately. Or they could be the very things that God uses to develop us, to shape us, 
See, our bro- those around us are gifts from God. And those who know Jesus have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And God wants to use them to help shape the character of Christ in you and I. And so here are a couple of the challenges or the difficulties that are presented in our relationships. One, there's spiritual warfare. Now, I think it's interesting in Ephesians chapter 6, after the Apostle Paul just got done talking about husbands and wives and fathers and children and, and, and employees and, and bosses, right? He goes into spiritual warfare, right? Because it's in these spaces, in our relationships, that, that the enemy often attacks us in these relationships with, with others, right? And so we got we to gotta fight by praying. We got to renew our minds and resist thoughts that aren't from the Lord and recognize them when they're not from the Lord as we filter them through Scripture. Selfishness is another difficulty that is presented in living in community, Right? We've all experienced this. We want what we want when we want it. And so there's, there can be tension if we don't get that. Pride. I like to say pride divides. Proverbs tells us that by pride comes contention. By pride comes contention. Independence. Individualism where there's a focus on me rather than we. When I counsel couples and, and walk them through premarital counseling before they get married and as they're getting married, I remind them of this mind shift that needs to take place going from a single to becoming one husband and wife, all right? And the mind shift is changed from the me to the we mentality because that, that is key if your marriage is going to thrive and survive. Okay, and that's key for, for, for a church community to thrive and to su- survive and thrive as we dwell together and grow together. Legalism is another barrier or difficulty that has been presented throughout church history where, 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 those, uh, where people will emphasize laws and rules and regulations and impose their convictions, personal convictions, unbiblical convictions even, as if it's, it, their righteousness is based on living up to those standards. And it's toxic to the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul dealt severely with those who walked in this. Disrespect or dishonor. We here, are, we want to cultivate here and we do a culture of honor. As Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. That's what we, that's what we aim to do here. We want to honor those around us, those who God has placed within us. Also, idealism. Um, idealism is, is a barrier, a challenge to unity. And, and lastly, majoring on the minors, secondary issues, okay? Putting overemphasis on secondary issues that the Bible gives liberty for Christians to have some different perspectives on, okay? Like when you have church, when you have culture, from two different cultures, okay, like eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. The Paul, Paul spent a lot of time in Romans and 1 Corinthians talking about that because you got Jews who only ate kosher, and then you got non-Jews who would eat the pork and who would eat, uh, um, you know, things that were, were sacrificed to idols. And then Paul had to help them, help the church get perspective 
of this idea of conscience and these secondary issues that we're not to uh, let be divisive amongst us. There are some, some commonalities. There are some essentials that we agree on as the people of God. And as we focus on those things, we major on the majors and minor on the minors. We're going to facilitate and cultivate unity amongst the body of Christ. And we're committed to that here. It's attributed, I think, to Augustine. He said, unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, in all things, charity. We're going to love, okay? And we're going to focus on those things that are most essential. Now, we can still talk about and, and have discussions about secondary issues that, that we may disagree about. But we're not going to allow suspicion and dissension and contentiousness to, to be toxic to our relationships by focusing on those things. So sibling rivalry is something that we see in, in Scripture. Going all the way back to Cain and Abel, where you have the first family feud, first conflict, and Cain killed Abel. We see Jacob and Esau, this tension between them two. We see Joseph and his brothers and Miriam and Aaron and David and his brothers and even Jesus and his brothers. Even his brothers were like, okay, why don't you show yourself now? Why don't you, you know, if you're really who you say you are, do, do, show, show it. And he, Jesus was always in step with his father's will and what the father had for him. And so we see this struggle within families and this is also a struggle within the family of God. One of the hindrances of idealism is addressed by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. He says, innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But but God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Okay? Uh, another thing that we, my wife and I talk about with couples as we're counseling them moving towards marriage is this idea of expectations and managing expectations, unrealistic expectations, unbiblical expectations, uncommunicated expectations, and we all have them. Sometimes we don't communicate them. Sometimes we don't filter them through the grid of Scripture, like, is this even right for me to expect this of this person, right? And it creates conflict in relationships. And so this idea of this having this ideal, idealistic view of the body of Christ and what the body of Christ really is can, can create that, that very tension, okay? Like, for an example, think about the Corinthians. Paul called them saints, and they were. They were Christians, right? Holy ones. He addresses them as that. We, last year, we went through 1 Corinthians, and we talked about this. But they had a lot of issues within that church, right? There was this idealistic like view of, of saint, but then you got, in reality, practical messiness of people being sanctified. Now, there's also non-Christians in the mix. There are non-Christians within the mix of many churches, right? And so that, that creates 
some, some, some tension as well and some, some challenges as well. And so we want to resist that, uh, the idealism. We need to know and, and, and be reminded that we are in process and our brothers and sisters are in process. And yet we're committed. We're aiming for the same goal, to follow Jesus, to grow in Christ-likeness, to reach people, to glorify God, to do good to people. Lastly, living together in unity is our duty. Okay, the New Testament makes this very clear, that this is our duty. Jesus not only prayed for this, for the church, the early church modeled this in Acts 2 and Acts 4. We see them united in prayer, united in mission. We see the kingdom advancing. We see them being effective witnesses as Jesus prayed they would be and as he told them they would be. People were coming to faith and the, the, the church was growing. Paul, the Apostle Paul spent a, a, a good deal of time addressing issues, challenges of unity, and calling the people of God to contribute to the unity of the saints. And here's just one of the verses. I, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You see, each of us have a part and this is one of the ways we can walk worthy of our calling is, is being patient and humble and gentle with one another and being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Let's be eager to maintain that. Let's guard against that. This was so important that the apostle Paul told Titus, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, that, that if anyone's divisive in the church after two or three um, warnings, like you are to avoid that person. That's what he said. Those are strong words. You read Romans 16 and you see some verses as well that speak about that, to watch out for those who are divisive. And, 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 and it can be an infection like leaven that spreads and hurts the body of Christ. One of our values here at City Church is unified diversity. We have these on our website, and what we mean by unified diversity is not like, well, you know, everybody has their own way, and there's many ways to God, and not, not that. What we're talking about is what 1 Corinthians teaches, that we're, we're, there's many parts of the body of Christ, yet we're one body. There's, there's various giftings in the body of Christ. Yet we're one body, and we each bring our part, and as we do, we grow together. And this is what it says as, as we explain this value that we have. We embrace and honor diversity within our church. Heaven is and will be a place of diversity with people from every ethnic group. There are, those, there are core truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ that unite us, which we refuse to compromise there are also secondary issues and preferences in which we give one another freedom to believe differently without judging and without breaking fellowship. And I believe that this is what the Apostle Paul taught the Corinthian church to do. Many of them were immature, Paul said, and that was the reason for the disunity and the tension within the church. And he called them up to maturity, to be marked by love, to be unified in the essentials, to have some liberty in the non-essentials, and major on love. He gave a whole chapter on it. And so we want to do that. 
So how do we cultivate unity here at City Church? Cultivating unity happens through our commonalities in Christ. In Christ. Our commonalities in Christ. There's one gospel that we believe that Jesus Christ has suffered and died for our sins. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. And we're saved by grace through faith. Our common mission unites us. We are to strive together, side by side, for the faith of the gospel, Paul told the Philippians. Strive not with one another. It's so distracting when the church is is caught up striving with each other, using energy to strive with one another, rather striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And this is what what Paul says to do. Um, Love unites us. Our common love, the love that we've received through Jesus Christ, that the Father has poured out or the Spirit has poured out into our hearts. Love binds us together in perfect harmony. The Spirit, we've received one Spirit. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and in all. The common essentials of our faith, we unite on those things. Uh, the, the Prayer unites us. Jesus prayed for the church to be one, and I think his prayer is going to get answered, and has been and will be getting answered. His church will be one. We see in the book of Acts I, a, a part of that answer to prayer. The church was united, and they were praying together. And marriage counseling, again, We like to say those who pray together stay together. So that's important. Relationships, prayer unites us as we seek God together. Focusing on Jesus and imitating his humility unites us. This is a key to cultivating unity in the body of Christ, namely humility. Having this humble mindset of a servant like Christ did. D.A. Carson in his book, Love in Hard Places, says this, that the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common ascents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. See, I love this. I love seeing the gospel affect lives in this way and that we reach across barriers that, that separate the world and segregate the world. We intentionally reach across those barriers because of our common allegiance to Jesus, our common faith in Jesus. And so let's do that, saints. Let's be about that. And so let me close with a couple points of application here. And this is something that we share, that I share in our Connect class uh, whenever um, new folks go through the Connect class. Um, uh, This is what we expect of members at, at City Church. This is how you and I can cultivate unity, be uniters here at City Church. First of all, just show up. Just show up, be present in community. To dwell together in unity, you gotta dwell together, right? Rather than isolate. And there are dangers of isolating. 
There are dangers of isolation, right? Ecclesiastes gives us wisdom that two are better than one, right? So, the, so show up. Be present in one another's lives. Don't neglect meeting together, as Hebrews says. Hebrews 10 says. Open up. You know, so, now let me just, let me put a little plug in here. We're, we just launched community groups, all right? We have community groups here as an, another place besides Sunday morning that you can show up and be a part and belong and bring your part, bring your spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ, to, to open up and share your struggles, to speak up and speak in to the lives of others, to encourage, to hold one another accountable, to do life together. We have these small groups that, that we believe are very are essential for your growth and my growth, okay? And, and so we meet in homes, we, we have meals, we talk about the Lord, we pray together, we laugh together, sometimes we cry together, we sing together, sometimes we serve, we serve together outside of, of that. And these are spaces for you to grow and flourish and to know and be known, to work through some of those hard things in your life with. These are places to open up, to be transparent, to walk in the light with one another. To speak up, to speak the truth in love. These, these are also places for us to, to look up in prayer. We, we cultivate unity when we're looking up to God in prayer and we're submitting to King Jesus together in reverence for Christ. He is our King. And he gives the command. And he's given us his word. He's given us clear directions. And when we submit to that, we have this posture of prayer and this posture of submission. We're going to be united on mission for his namesake. We're going to be about his business. I, I love the, 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 the brother who um, Mike Ward used to talk about, this, this guy who mentored him, who worked at UPS. And he said, he said I'm a servant of the king, of King Jesus. I'm a, God, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and UPS pays me to do it. That's what he says. That's his mentality. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and UPS pays me to do it, right? He sees, he, he, saw, he sees himself as a minister in that space, even serving as, as somebody who delivers packages for UPS. He's, he, and that's what we're called to, to be ministers in every place. And we're, lastly, we're to grow up. We're to grow up. So spiritual growth. 2 Peter 3, 18 says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we grow, as we let God smooth off those rough areas in our life through the, through the friction that we experience in dwelling together, we grow. We grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and we are to forgive and forbear. As we do that, as we're all in process, as we're all growing, Colossians 3, 13 says to, to forgive, forbear with one another. If anybody has a complaint against one another, you must forgive as the Lord Christ has forgiven you. Like that's the key. That's the key if we're going to walk in unity that glorifies God, that creates a space for flourishing in the body of Christ and in our families it's to forgive and forbear as Christ has forgiven us. Let that same grace that you've received into your life, 
in your immaturity, in your sin, in your foolishness, when you've messed things up, when you've said things that, are, that hurt others, and you've done things that have hurt others, and yet Jesus met you with grace, met you with mercy, let that humble your heart and just give that same mercy and grace out to others. Amen.